Hello, welcome to this week's opening bell. I'm Boxing News Editor Tris Dixon, joined by uh, trusty sidekick Matt Christie. Matt, what's going on? What's going on on my eye? I've got a sty on my eye. I didn't say what's going on with your eye. I know you've got a sty. Yeah, well, yeah, I've got a sty on my eye. Um, looking a bit like Dennis Lebedev over here. Yeah, so similar, <laughs> mate. Separate, separate at birth for anyone who wants to uh, look at the video online as well. Um, it's horrendous. It's bad, isn't it? I actually haven't even seen it. So, still, but yeah, check out the video and you'll see nothing. Um, okay, so uh, what else is going on? Um, what are you doing? What have you been doing this week? Uh, yesterday, well, yesterday was a rather hurried um, press day. We were trying to put news together rather quickly, quickly than because I was off work on Monday. Um, so yeah, just doing a bit of that. Really. Bit of this, bit of that. Um, yesterday was a hectic day, wasn't it? It was manic. It was long and so headache-inducing. You, you can't beat a good sixteen-hour Tuesday, can you? I love I love Tuesdays. Yeah, increasingly. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, yeah, it was a tough day uh, in the office yesterday. Tough day in the office this weekend for Alfredo Angulo, possibly. Are both of them, I reckon. Yeah, I actually think so too. Yeah. I think it's a decent fight, and two reasons for that. One is we don't know uh, what the Mayweather masterclass has taken out of Sal Alvarez, Angulo's opponent. Two is I'm not sure he was that brilliant in the first place. So against someone like Angulo, who, who you know, is rugged, determined, and comes to fight, it's going to be interesting to see what Alvarez has got. Yeah, I I, I agree 100%. I mean, there's, there's, I'm not sure what the odds are on, on Angulo to win. I doubt they're going to be that tempting, but... What would you say? I've, I've like five to one? Would you price them out? I, I, I doubt they'd be that. I doubt they'd be that wide. They shouldn't be. I certainly don't think they should be. I know Angulo has has, has lost the, the bigger fights he's had, but even that Lara fight where he did take a bit of a pasting, he was certainly in that fight. And let's not let's not underestimate Lara here. He's he's perhaps the best, you know, the, the most underrated light middleweight in the world. And, and Angulo was there right until the end, until more or less. You know, his head exploded a bit like my eyelid over here. He hurt him, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he hurt him. He hurt him. He wasn't outclassed by Lara. Um, and like you say, Alvarez, it's so easy to say it now, though, isn't it? Is that is, Was Alvarez that good in the first place? But he hasn't... He struggled with Austin Trout. Austin Trout has since lost quite convincingly to Lara. Um, to I think what you'll find, actually, Matt, is I did say that he was clearly in the preview several levels below Floyd Mayweather. You did, you did, you did say that, you did. Did we, did we, were you at the fight in the end, or did somebody else? I go? actually popped over to America for the one, yeah. I was did over you? There for the week, yeah. It was right, a right. Brilliant week. Was brilliant it? Week, was yeah. it? You should yeah. talk about that more. Do you know what? It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. Memory, such such good memories from that week. Yeah, but no, no. But back back to back to this fight. Yeah, I give I give Angulo a real real good chance, and I think as as we said, when this fight was announced, full credit to Alvarez for going in there. Um, with someone like Angulo, what do you reckon? Um, what do you, how you know you you're you're nailing your colours on the mast and saying Angulo has a good chance. I don't think he has a great chance, but I think it could be a good fight. Um, in your mind, what sort of fight is this? Is it fifty-five, forty-five Alvarez? Is it seventy, thirty? Because for me, it's about eighty-five, fifteen in Alvarez's favour. I'd I'd say about sixty forty for me. You can get Angulo at six to one, mate. Really? Six to one. 
Cheeky fivers out. Cheeky fivers. Been a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think I think it's tempting odds. It would still be it would still be a surprise if Angulo pulled it off. Um but I think he's been underestimated a little bit. And um it's not so long ago that Angulo was was enjoying a reputation as one of the, the hottest young talents in, in the game and I don't think he's slipped that far from then. I think perhaps he has found his level. Um but what the thing is with boxing is it's very, very interesting, as you just alluded to, it's very interesting is to is to see how a fighter who has spent so much of their career unbeaten, thinking they're invincible, then loses that fight very, very convincingly and then sees how they cope on that first fight back. Um, so I think, for me, that's that's kind of where this could all go wrong, potentially, for so Alvarez. So it's a big fight in Las Vegas. Paul Wheeler's gone out there for us. He's going to be blogging and uh, and reporting from, from Vegas for us. Um, a couple of things, uh, and I know we, d we don't get political, but it's on a pay-per-view bill. As a pay-per-view headliner alone, it's not enough, no. that fight. However, what they've done is they've stacked the card, and, and unfortunately it lost a fight last week. Um, who came off it? Can you remember? Off the top, I can't remember who it is. But they, they were fortunate the card was busy enough, so they upgraded Jorge Linares' fight with Arakawa up to um, yeah. up to the televised portion of the show. There's also talking about um, like middleweights and, and danger men and stuff. Carlos Molina's on the bill, uh, and he could fight the winner of Alvarez Angulo. You could see that fight happening. Providing he comes through Jamal Charlo, which isn't a given because Charlo is actually a pre-fight favourite. Charlo's a good prospect. Um, Molina, though, is, is one of the, he's a tough champion, isn't he? He's going to be he'd, he'd be tough to beat, but he's awkward. He's a handful. He yeah. sort of can do everything quite well, and certainly for a prospect, it's um, it's a tough fight. It's a tough. It is a tough fight. I'd probably fancy Charlo, um, from my, you know, head on chopping block time. But again, it, but is that? I don't think that's going to be a classic fight, is it? No, I remember uh, there was a show in America last year called The One, and they put Carlos Molina again against Ishe Smith on it, and you know people were wired that the Ashley Theophane fight before that against Pablo Cesar Cano was a, was a good fight. Mm. And then people were looking forward to Matisse and how Garcia. Do you, how do you know they were looking forward to it? Were you there? Oh, I'm getting a bit fed up with these little <laughs> jibes every week. I was there, actually. It was a cracking <laughs> week. Um, starting to regret being there now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so uh, and people were looking forward to Matisse against Garcia and obviously the main event. And they put Molina on against DJ Smith and it sucked the life out of the arena. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, Molina's one of those guys. He has those one of those styles. Yeah. You know, he doesn't make for fan-friendly fights. But we'll see. Someone who does make for fan-friendly fights, so is Leo Santa Cruz, who meets Christian Mahares on that same Las Vegas bill. A lot of buzz about Santa Cruz. Haven't really seen anything from him that indicates to me he's going to be a pound-for-pounder. Um, but he's in exciting fights, and he's in a talent-laden division. And there's been talk of him fighting Cole Frampton later this year. That's a good fight. Winnable, I think, for Frampton. And he would, I think his reputation would soar if he was to beat Santa Cruz. But Cruz is one of you know one of last year's fighters of the year, just on activity alone. Um, and Christian Mahares, seen better days, I think. Back at his peak, I used to quite enjoy watching him. Quite a majestic boxer. Um, not afraid of having a tear up. So, you know, this could be fun if it, if it goes a few rounds. But I think Mahares will be, will be outgunned. 
Okay, interesting stuff. And obviously on this side of the pond, we've got uh, a show in Liverpool, Paul Butler and Kevin Satchel in action. Uh, Liverpool, two big weeks in a, two big yeah. shows in a couple of weeks. Um, and Butler and Satchel, two of the best guys playing their trade in the city at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Been, I've seen both of those guys um, from ringside more than once and been impressed generally with them both. Satchel perhaps kind of felt, felt like he lost his way a little bit after uh, impressing in, in his first step up to championship level. Um, but he's still, he's got bags and bags of talent. Um, likewise, Paul Butler, he's kind of been fast-tracked almost towards a world title shot. That's what they're looking at. And um, yeah, you think the winner of this fight could perhaps go on to, to compete at world level. Whether they excel there is another matter entirely. Some big talking points from this week. Um, not least that uh, boxing news on May 31st will be going to Wembley. Um, Carl Froch is fighting George Groves there in the rematch on May 31st. Um, can you think of a better venue than Wembley for that fight? Um, it, de it depends, doesn't it? I mean, if it's, if it's not filled, it's 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 too. It's, you just think that perhaps a slightly more intimate stadium like your Upton Parks or something may have been better but you know they're optimistic it's going to be filled I suspect one way or another whether the, all the tickets get sold or not it will be filled um, if you know what I'm saying and um, I think I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see and to compare it to big fights of, of a few years ago and it could give us a real indication of how, how popular boxing is in this country at the moment. Two guys, Froch and Groves, will come head-to-head -head on Monday in Wembley, I believe, for press obligations, and then they're going to have different press stops on a, on a press tour, Nottingham, Manchester, London. Um, do you see any way that Carl Froch will leave those, that press tour with a, psycho a psychological edge? Um, I don't know. The, the, this certainly does seem to be what, what Gro you know, Groves is... is is the better of the two at these kind of things in terms of you know antagonizing the other and really really getting under the skin it's kind of big part of his plan i suspect in his 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 battle plan frotch um with when he was picking out um groves's hair certainly seemed to frustrate george groves a little bit but then it all gets a little bit childish a bit playground like for me it's I'm easier to rise above the more it gets into that sort yeah. of territory isn't it and i think that's the danger that frotch has got i think that he might be trying a bit too hard to annoy george groves and he'll come across looking quite bad as a result um i for me personally i understand why they have to do these things but i'll i'll lose interest quite quickly with it with name calling and that sort of thing i just want to see him get in the ring and get it on as far as um i mean you and i know psychologists Let's let's get that thing straight. But if Froch was to say go to the press conference on Monday and just have his headphones on and not look at Groves, not get in his face, mm. not bite anything, is that a victory for Froch, or would Groves have won because he's driven Froch to that? I think you could you can make a strong case that that, that Froch has won if that's the if that's what he wants to do and he just basically just does not want anything to do. He doesn't want to listen to him. I think that's fine. I think I think Groves, Groves will gets increasingly encouraged when he sees signs of frustration in his opponent. Someone biting him. Yeah, and if Froch is just there, poker face, listening to his music, and really not responding to anything, then I think that may that may frustrate George a bit more. So it doesn't allow him the opportunity to get into the to to do what he wants to do. No, it doesn't. And I I do believe I genuinely do believe that 
you know, I've said that I've got no time for all this. However, I do think that the, 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 the performances of both of them in that, in that lead up to the fight in terms of Groves really seeming like he was getting under Frotch's skin to an extent played a part, not perhaps in, in the fight as a whole, but certainly in the beginning of that fight in that Frotch did seem quite tentative early on. Um, he was making mistakes in the first couple of rounds. And I, th I think that that would, I think that Groves' tactics beforehand had something to do with the opening couple of rounds. You've seen some prices on the, f on the fight. They've narrowed significantly from where they were for the first fight, haven't they? They have, but I think it's still interesting, and it, it's still interesting that, that Frotch is the favourite still. Um, I think despite the initial wave of, of support for Groves in the immediate aftermath of the fight, um, it does sway somewhat from what Groves has said since in that, you know, Groves will go on here, but like, everybody knows that I was going to win that fight, everybody knows I was winning it, blah, blah, blah. Perhaps, you know, perhaps they didn't, otherwise, otherwise the bookies, who are not known to make too many mistakes, would have Groves installed as a favourite. You know, I've been uh, listening to a lot of the pundits being asked to put their head on the chopping block for Frotch Groves in its early days, and I think this fight could be won or lost in the build-up. It really could, depending on how how uh, how how fight the fighters deal with it. Um, I think it was really interesting an interview you did with Frotch the other day that was online and in the uh, the, the longer version in the magazine where he said he might be taking his training camp to, was it Lanzarote? Lanzarote you mentioned, yeah. Which, is, which would be interesting. But um, I just think, I think I, I'm not sure I've heard one pundit, impartial pundit, put his head on the chopping block and go for Groves, which is extraordinary. I think I must have heard about 15 or 20 different opinions and everyone's gone for Frotch, including myself tentatively. Um, I'd wait for a, a definitive pick and I know people are reluctant to pick this early, but... Still, no one I have heard uh, impartially give Groves the benefit of the doubt, which is really interesting. It is interesting. I remember having a conversation with you, and it wasn't, it wasn't in the week after the fight, but it may have been in about a month after the fight, and you said that you'd been watching the stoppage more and more. And you really, the more you watch that fight, I think the more you can make a, 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 a better case for the fact that Frotch was in more or less absolute control at the end in that ninth round you could make a better case for the fact that Frotch was going to go on to win that fight than Groves would survive I think just on watching that fight I completely understand the anger the fury and what have you of, of fans that were there and the frustration from George Groves's point of view that he was pulled out at that particular point in time but you cannot doubt if you watch that fight from start to finish that the tide would turned I spoke to uh, Robert Smith on the phone this week, actually, British Border Control General Secretary, who said as time went on, he's had about as many letters in support of Howard Foster's stoppage as he did the yeah. initial outrage, which is interesting. I mean, obviously, our letters pages is always quite a good gauge of public opinion, and they've sort of been varied all the way through, some, some critiquing Foster, some not. It's just... Um, I don't know, as the, t as the time's gone on, there's been more perspective. I think more and more people have leant towards favouring Frotch, thinking he was coming uh, coming on strong, whereas at the time, the initial thing was he was so far behind on points, uh, or should have been, even if the cards didn't reflect that, um, that that it was just wholly unfair on George Groves. Um, I don't know, I mean, we're still debating that stoppage now, months on. It's a stoppage that will be debated in years and years to come. Of course, yeah. And obviously yeah. that's the last thing we want in the in the rematch. But 
Um, before we look at some of the action this week, including Ricky Burns, um, Floyd Mayweather's put up another roadblock for Amir Khan. Um, what do you make of Mayweather's latest antics uh, on Twitter? And do you think Khan should bite? He already has to an extent, hasn't he? Um, with with his responses, I'd, it's, it, 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 I don't know how how Amir Khan now could could go along and say, okay, I'll fight Adrian Broner, and 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 presume then that that if he was to win that fight, um, that that the Floyd Mayweather fight world would be arranged, uh, would be set in stone, and everything else with what's gone on the last few months. That's kind of a, almost a tired subject. What I do think, though, is that the Adrian Broner versus Amir Khan fight, if it's made at welterweight, is one of the best to be made in boxing at the moment. Do you think it should even be made at welterweight, though? Khan hasn't fought there still yet, and Broner's proved he's not a welterweight. Shouldn't they just get it on a, a 140? Maybe, maybe. I think I think you can you can make a strong case now that Amir Khan's despite all what he was saying about the fact that he feels a lot stronger at welterweight, that was all lip service in order to secure. Um, the fight with Mayweather, perhaps he would be, you know, he still is strong at light welterweight. Um, so yeah, I'll go with that. I'd, I'd just, I'd, I'd just, I'd just presume that it will be made at welterweight with Floyd Mayweather in mind. Um, but to me, take Floyd Mayweather out of the equation, that Adrian Broner, um, Amir Khan matchup is fascinating. Yeah, it's a really good fight. I mean, when we listed our 20 fights that we wanted at the start of the year, it figured to be near the top. Uh, it's a fight that on its own, could have its own all-access show, isn't it? I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. it'd be almost a waste having those two very different personalities um, on the same bill in the same fight and not do a TV show on it. So maybe that's something that Showtime would choose to do if th if that's what happened. Amir's back in the country today, Wednesday, uh, and hopefully I'll be going up to see him next week so we'll be able to uh, bring you some exclusive news from the Bolton man. But I think it's really interesting what Mayweather's doing and, and he's kind of... He's kind of like, um, he's treating Khan a bit like a cat. And he's got, Dan got a bit of wool in front of him. Yeah. He's sort of pulling it in front of him just as Amir reaches out. And and I'm not quite sure what Amir did to upset him so badly to, to be treated this way. Um, obviously, you know, my thoughts about the Khan Mayweather fights have been well documented in, in the issue uh, over recent weeks. Uh, and online where I blogged about it last week or the week before. Um, so I sort of made it crystal clear, but at the same time, there's there's a certain way that you should treat opponents and prospective opponents. And what Mayweather's done to Khan is is out of order. Um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I would, would I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure, but I would sympathise with Khan if he just stuck his fingers up to Floyd and said, "I'm not going to be on your show. I'm not going to bring the TV revenue from the Middle East and from the mm. UK." to to your fight um i'm gonna go i'm gonna run my own race and and apply pressure on you the proper way and that's in the ring obviously the problem with amir is you know he's he's been dropped and stopped a few times and and you just don't know what's around the corner for for amir and and you know is it going to be better for him to sit and apply pressure with his name and on twitter and everything else for applying pressure pressure on uh, mayweather to make the fight that way or is it going to be better to take the risks, go out there, fight a couple of welterweights, win a belt, and then apply pressure the the logical way and, and rise up the rankings at welterweight? That would be that would be the ideal way of doing things um, for, for for Amir Khan. But I mean, like you, I mean, I think what, what Floyd Mayweather has done recently, irrespective of whether you think that Khan deserved the shot in the first place, is just 
it's you, you just can't quite get your head around the reasoning behind it um, if it's all part of a master plan to build up a, a Mayweather Khan blockbuster later in the year then you know so be it but Mayweather recently or a thought in recent years he's always been a frustrating character in terms of as many that are that self-obsessed can be um, but there was a, there was a sense that he was maturing a little bit both inside the ring and out um, and 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 Adrian Broner had almost taken on that mantle as, as perhaps the most infuriating, boorish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and and, but it's almost as if Broner lost this fight to Maidana, and Mayweather has stepped back up to the plate to, to 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 kind of come across as, as this this arrogant arrogant creature, almost repulsive character at times. I don't know, but Broner Broner's still pushing that role himself Broner, pretty well, yeah. isn't he? No, he's done no, I mean yeah, yeah, no, and, and that's what literally what I'm writing about out there now is, is, is the kind of the interaction that Broner and Khan have had uh, over the last few hours on Twitter. Um but yeah, I just uh, to to me and maybe it's just my, you know my kind of of, of character I've I've gotten no, I'd really dislike it. I really, really dislike big-headedness, and Broner and Mayweather at the moment are just taking that onto a whole different scale. Yeah, okay. Um, by the way, I just looked at the prices for um, Mayweather, Maidana. Uh, price it up for me. For what, sorry? Uh, sorry, Mayweather and Maidana. I would say Maidana up. would be... Eight to one, nine to one underdog. He's an eight to one underdog, generally speaking, with Floyd one to ten on. Um, so huge odds. And in fact, just interestingly looking at those, um, you talk about underdogs, Alex Lepai against Vladimir Klitschko. Wow. Uh, the big Samoan boy is 16 to one underdog. Yeah. That's whopper. That's huge, isn't it? That's really, really significant price. Um, but Pacquiao Bradley, who's the favorite? I would say Pacquiao is the favorite, a narrow favorite. Yeah, he's four to seven on to win. Bradley seven to four underdog, twenty-two to one the draw. That's not a bad shout. We like a draw. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a bad shout. So um, still okay. So we'll just go on to um, some action this week. Ricky Burns lost his world, world title to Terence Crawford. Um, not a big shock. Uh, Ricky had looked. Um, as far as champions go, he'd look there for the taking the last couple of fights against Gonzalez and then against Ray Beltran. And when he was paired with the quality American, uh, it looked like a really tough job for the man we've called this week the last King of Scotland. Um, proved to be the case. Crawford, slick, quick, good game plan. Uh, very calm in the face of uh, the Scottish cauldron at the SECC. Um, and he left with Burns' title. Matt, where does Ricky Burns go from here? I'm not sure. I'm not sure where he goes from here. To, uh, I think it's going to be difficult for him. I mean, he won the world title, won his first world title in 2010, so he's had a long time at the top, and however much he loves the game, there doesn't seem to be any indi indication that he will walk away. Um, it's going to be mightily hard for him to go back down, to which... which perhaps will be the next step for him to go down to domestic level. I would just like to say that Ricky Burns, with what he has achieved in the last four years, it's not, you know, it's nothing it's almost nothing short of sensational because nobody expected him to beat Roman Martinez in two thousand and ten. Um Were you at that one, Matt? Yeah. No, I was I was at that one. Yeah. Um but but then what he's what he went on to do, beating Michael Katsidis when when people people thought that that, that Katsidis would win that one 
Kevin Mitchell fight, very much 50-50 for a lot of people, and Burns walked through him. Um, he's got a lot to be proud of, um, Ricky Burns. Palos Moses was a big night. And, and that was another... As well. another, he, was another a, he was meant to be a tough assignment, ended up a virtual whitewash. Yeah, and, and that's it. I mean, I think ultimately we might, perhaps we might judge um, Ricky Burns' reigns on what somebody like Terence Crawford goes on to achieve. If Terence Crawford establishes himself as one of the leading fighters in the game, um, then Burns' reign will perhaps be looked a little bit more favourable upon. But I think in terms of... Of, of Scottish Scottish fighters, Burns should be right up there. Should be right up there towards the top with what he's achieved. Okay, interesting stuff. Um, also on the bill, John Simpson uh, fell some way short against John Murray, partly because size does matter when a good big guy fights a good little guy. Um, sad to see John Simpson, who's one of the game's toughest warriors, um, basically marched through by John Murray, who is. Uh, in in the same breath, it's good to see back and looking hungry again. Yeah, that would that on paper that was an interesting matchup. It did turn out into a little bit of a mismatch in the end. Um, uh, the the size difference was was obvious from the weigh-in, their respective frames and everything else, and and it was immediately obvious in the first round that Murray was carrying a lot more weight behind the punches. And Simpson, who is a durable, durable character, and one of my favourite favourite domestic fighters of the last few years. Um, he he just had absolutely no no way of standing up to that. It was the body shots that got him. John Murray, as ever, was there to be hit. I'm afraid from 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 the fight. He took a few he took a few shots from Simpson, but they didn't have they didn't have much of an effect. Um, so if the old problems, yeah, there's, there was we didn't see enough of that fight to know whether the old problems with Murray are still there. Um, but fitting well, he's he's a welcome addition to a lightweight division that is still, still, still bustling in, uh, domestically. And Scotty Cardle um, stopped Paul Appleby uh, impressively, as it turned out, in a good fight. Uh, but Appleby, like Murray, uh, sorry, like John Simpson, rather pitched in deep. Um, Appleby, I think I'd like to see him take a bit of a breather now. He's had some really, mm. really tough fights, hasn't he? Yeah, yes, uh, yeah, perhaps more so than than the likes of 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 John Simpson. Appleby has had some tough fights, um, and ultimately these take their toll, don't they? Uh, yeah, they they all add up. They do for sure. Um, okay, with regards to the um, other action last week um, in the USA, Kieran Mulvaney was ringside in San Antonio, where Julio Cesar Chavez managed to right the wrong against Brian Vera. Um, Eminently frustrating, Chavez. We saw the worst of him against Vera last time. Saw the best of him this time. No idea what we'll see next time. No, that's the thing with Chavez, isn't it? I still, I'm. I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll ever be particularly impressed. Um, I just don't think he's got it in him to be. I, th I still, I still believe if he was to, I mean, who, who, who would be a realistic target? Andre Ward, perhaps at super middleweight. I don't see anything other than a, than twelve rounds to nil win for for Andre Ward there. Um, Chavez, perhaps you can say that that he's he's got a rough deal because he's constantly compared to his father. Um, but let's face it, he wouldn't have the opportunities that he's had if he if 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 Julio Cesar Chavez Senior wasn't his father. So Chavez fights Arthur Abraham, who wins. That's a better fight. That's a, that's a better fight. Um, you could perhaps favour Chavez. That's that's an intriguing fight. Chavez de Gale. De Gale. Chavez Kessler. I think now I'd pick Chavez just because I think Kessler has pretty much had enough. Okay. Chavez Stieglitz. Pick him. 
No, you pick them. I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pick and fight, though, isn't it? Chavez Stieglitz. But those, yeah, the, the Abrahams, the Stieglitz, yeah, and, and and Chavez. Yes, you can put that. Well, basically, I think what I'm saying is that I don't think Chavez is ever going to go and be a a long-standing world champion. Well, the BC title is held by Sakio Bika. So can Chavez be Bika now? Pick him. <laughs> no, I think uh, yeah, you would get splinters. This I would say. I uh, know. I would say that Chavez would be a favourite, but Bika nightmarish competitor. Hit um, you of everything. Chavez is still really open, even for punches, let alone heads and elbows. Yeah, exactly. And I, I you know, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how he'd cope with Sakio Bika. I mean, even Andre Ward had problems with Sakio Bika. A peak Joe Calzaghe had problems with Sakio Bika. Sakio Bika is not. No one has it easy, do they? No, no. So I think you know it's. But again, I'd I'd I'd, I'd quite like to see Chavez fight him. Okay, interesting. I'm sure one person who wouldn't like to see Chavez fight him is James DeGale, who yeah. is also highly ranked with by the WBC. Uh, was on the verge of an eliminator against Badu Jack, and Badu Jack got ironed out by Derek Edwards on Friday night in a, in a massive shot, one of the shocks of the year. Yeah. Um, well, A, it shows you can't take your eye off the ball, um, as Jack did. He seemingly looked very complacent early on in that fight and then got caught. Um and two, DeGale. Um, tell me, I mean, how how's that going to work with DeGale on the verge of a um, uh, eliminator with Badu Jack, but Chavez ranked above him? How are they going to decide who fights Beaker? Do you think it's going to be a case that maybe DeGale accepts some step-aside money and allows Chavez to fight Beaker first on the promise that he fights the winner? How do you see that unfolding? I'm not sure if he would have to accept step-aside money would if, if Chavez is, is already number one. Um, but certainly DeGale has been, been chasing the shot at super middleweight for a lot longer than than Chavez. Um, you could certainly f feel that, that, that DeGale would rightfully be aggrieved if Chavez Beaker was made tomorrow. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that's all going to work out. Um, but, I mean, uh, there, there was always a part of me that felt that, that, that DeGale Badu Jack was never going to happen. Um, with because that's been in the works for for quite a while. Would have been it would have made sense though, and we we had a piece on the internet with James last week. Would have made sense to have got that fight on on the Mayweather yeah. bill had he been fighting Khan. But then when Mayweather wasn't going to fight Khan, because it would have made sense for another high-profile Brit to go across yeah. and and take more fans. And, but you know, obviously that's not the way things have worked out. So. I don't know, it's going to be tough for the WBC to sift through that little mess they've created by bringing Chavez straight in at number one. Yeah, no, it is. It is. But I, th I think from, from, from the conversations that we had last week and from um, you know from what you were saying and what I spoke about briefly last week as well, is, is that Chavez will be the mandatory. Um, <sighs> the fairest thing to do would be to pit Degale and Chavez together in a in a in a in eliminator, um, but you know they can say that Degale's got the silver title, so it wouldn't be an eliminator. It's 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 all it is all a bit murky. It's all a bit confusing, um, but I think as long as Degale gets his title shot by the you know, as long as he's if he's not the next challenger, he's the one after, then I think that's okay. Okay, let me just um, put you on the spot in closing. Uh, you know we've mentioned um, heroes and villains uh, on the website. Um, which might be being brought into the magazine and taken off the website. It's become so popular. Um, 
Do you remember last week's Heroes and Villains? Um, I can probably, probably will do if you remind me. Well, no, I'm asking you a question. What was last week's Heroes and Villains? Um, yeah, I can remember a few of the questions. Uh, what I wanted to ask you, actually, was what was your high point of reading people's Heroes and Villains? Do you um, remember? Should I have a dig round for it? Because, um, do you know what? It never ceases to amaze me. The only thing, I I predicted one thing in Heroes and Villains last week, and that was everyone was going to go for Curtis Woodhouse as a hero. Right. And so I selected someone else to be different. And I think everyone did go for Curtis Woodhouse. But nine times out of ten, you cannot predict what that crazy team yeah. of people out there is, go, is going to do. Yeah. Like The range of emotions... I don't know if you had a psychiatrist picking up picking to pieces everything that we wrote out there. God knows what the results would be, because uh, it it's just so diverse all the time. You've got people cracking jokes. You've got people almost trying to bring a tear to your eye. Um, just while I sift through this, Matt, tell me tell tell me about um, Vasil Lomachenko. Um, yeah, he was. It's, it's controversial, isn't it? It's controversial in that Slido came in. Two two pounds above the weight limit, so couldn't have defended his title. Um, Lomachenko could still have won it, so that that really does um, put a few more question marks over the result than than one would like in sport. Um, but for me, Lomachenko, no doubt, he is exceptionally talented. But it did just show that there is a huge, huge jump from. Uh, the top of the amateur game to the top of the professional game. Have a look through those heroes and villains. I think what what I wanted to I'll take this on while you have a look through and pick out your sort of shining light of last week's uh, heroes and villains. Um, about Lomachenko um, showed a couple of things really. First and foremost, um, from what I understand, Lomachenko has been very hands-on with his career and dictating that he wanted to to be, you know, win a title in record time, and he was very ambitious and wanted to do this and that. And then he boxed as though he hadn't fought 12 rounds before, set himself off very slowly, very steadily, fell behind and left it all too late. I think there's two things. I think one, it shows that your team needs to be very strong with you and very forceful. Um, for instance. Um, you know, Frank Warren has brought many a many fighter on against um, journeymen, learn the trade, four-rounders, six-rounders, eight-rounders, ten-rounders, title fights, move up in class. There's a set formula there. You couldn't imagine Eddie Hearn pitching Joshua or Luke Campbell in with someone who's sort of 10-0 or better or who's been around for many, many moons and, and is still a world champion. Uh, you couldn't see him rushing them in. Um and I c I'm not sure that you could see Golden Boy doing it either. I think it's a, it was a bizarre situation. Firstly, I think it was bizarre they took the fight. Get me, don't get me wrong, though. I loved the idea. It would have been a fantastic or fascinating story for boxing if a guy won his world title in what was officially recorded as his second professional fight. Um, but secondly, when Toledo didn't make the weight, I can't see that I would have kept uh, going ahead with the fight especially when you've got, got a guy who is durable sticks around and you're not likely to bang him out in a couple of rounds um, and you haven't gone 12 rounds and so you're going to be in there with a heavier guy who's got more reserves of energy 
you're you've drained yourself you've made the weight you've struggled i just i think it's crazy a the fight was made with hindsight obviously i can accept that because i was looking forward to it beforehand um but without hindsight before the fight i thought it was a, a dumb move putting him in with salido who some people said weighed um 10 stone seven on the night 147 pounds which is you know crazy absolutely crazy and I, I just hope that Lomachenko who's now one and one as a professional uh, goes on to achieve something like the success people thought he he could do um, and that that fight hasn't turned him off the sport yeah I mean I, d I don't really know what to add to that I mean I think perhaps perhaps uh, in terms of why the fight was made so so quickly was there was just Lomachenko almost at times in his amateur career looked like he wasn't getting out of second gear, um, whereas he, yeah, he wasn't. He was an amazing talent at that level. Um, but yeah, I mean, my first instinct when I heard, when I saw the, the sort of the weigh-in, or sorry, when I saw the results of the weigh-in, um, suddenly you start to think, "Whoa, what's going on here?" Because look, I mean, Golovkin was a great amateur, and he's been brought along swiftly as a pro. Yeah. But he's got those rounds under his belt. He's fought your Cassie Moomers. He's fought those guys, you know, yeah. where you know the result, but it's all building. They're mm. all building blocks and they're all foundations. And I mean, I suppose the more a more uh, fitting example would be Rigondo and how he was matched. I mean, you know, it, it's taken it took it took his time with Rigondo, but you know, after what, six or seven fights, he fought 12 rounds with Ricardo Cordoba. You know, and you can't, and although he might have been booed and it might have not been a great fight to watch, he banked that experience. And now look at him. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. I, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you completely. Um, Rigondo, I think, I think, because Rigondo, it was, it was, he certainly, that, that Cordoba fight, I think you can compare to this Salido in terms of the, lev the level of opposition Cordoba perhaps even then was probably a few levels below Salido in terms of their respective places in their divisions but that was the point where Rigondo made the jump up um, but you know Bob, the thing is as well when the fight when they were the way in the Salido Lomachenko thing Bob Arum was saying well you know we always knew this was going to be Salido's last last fight at featherweight this is all genuine. He tried. He tried to lose the two pounds, but he couldn't do it because he didn't even have to go away and attempt to to sweat it off, did he, or anything no, like that? It was just all not. accepted. So, okay, all right. Now pick out your heroes and villains bit from last week, if you may. Um, you know what? Every single question and answering heroes and villains is worth reading because, like what you say, is a, there's a there's a vast difference of mindsets going on. Um, but I always, the things, I mean, I enjoyed was which Americans fighters appearance in the UK impressed you the most and which fighter provided the biggest disappointment. Um, a lot of the mention there was, was a couple of people mentioned Jeff Lacey being a disappointment. Um, and that brought back memories of a re the recent anniversary. Um, but also, I mean, uh, to get into the mind of, of, of a few people in the office, uh, the question was, Curtis Woodhouse moved from footballer to boxing with with splendid results. If you had to change careers tomorrow, what would you be and why? There's a few interesting answers there. Um, as Danny Flexen would be an actor. We do hear Danny Flexen's acting stories quite frequently. We do, actually, yeah. <laughs> was, it, was it Grange Hill or something? Something like remember. that, yeah, yeah. Okay. And what would you be? What if you put a psychologist, funny enough? Oh, to New York's richest and most disturbed. I do I do enjoy listening to people probably more than I enjoy talking to them. 
Um, so, yeah, I'd quite fancy that. How about a psychologist to boxing's richest and most disturbed? <laughs> <laughs> You'd have plenty of clients anyway, that's for sure. So, okay, on that note, um, guys, thanks a lot for listening to this week's Opening Bell podcast. Uh, really enjoyed it. I think Matt will be uh, in the chair with John next week, uh, unless I'm mistaken. Um, but uh, tune in anyway. <laughs> um but no, I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. We'll, we'll be, you know, what? we might even have Paul Wheeler in next week, um, having been to Las Vegas, uh, so he can maybe um, rep- uh, replenish our stock of Las Vegas <laughs> stories. Um, okay, but until next week, guys, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>